We're about to get on Gaza on the go here, but I always told you guys we're going to keep these ones fast, moving, get your sports day going, whether you're driving into work, coming back from work. Want to make sure to talk about my guy, Alex Bodenzeek, AVB Taxes, small service business owners. It's tax season. If you're just looking to file your taxes, your guy, Alex Bodenzeek, AVB Taxes. Give him a call today, 518-400-0282. 518-400-0282. He's helped me, my wife, my family through tax season this year. He can do the same for you. Keeping your stress to a minimum, your taxes to a minimum, a team player, simple tailored services, quick turnaround time, passionate guy, wants to help you. Free consultation, 518-400-0282. 518-400-0282. Alex Bodenzeek, AVB Taxes. And don't forget our guys over at GraphTex, graph-tax.com. If you're watching on the visual side, you'll see my 100% polyester t-shirt. The merch store is still open. Get there, buy the gear, reasonably priced. We didn't jack up the price, we kept them reasonable for you, so you can buy anything you want. Hoodies, long sleeve, polyesters, 100% cotton tees, whatever you want, it's there in the gift store. Two more weeks to go get it. All right, let's get into it. Gaz on the go. Everything you want about sports, right now. Here we go, an episode of Gaz on the go, and I promise you this is the last you'll see of my stupid face, my long beard. I want to show that Godzilla Media gear off on our visual side, get the 100% polyesters, absolutely love these shirts. Now let's get to it. Let's lead it off talking about Syracuse basketball in the Sweet 16. Syracuse basketball has advanced after winning two games in the NCAA tournament. Uh, To sum up how Syracuse has done it, I think I have to take a quote from the great American philosopher Paul Del Vecchio when he once said this. Buddy. Yes, that's right. Buddy Beheim, man. He has been incredible. He's been the best tournament player so far through two games. Now, that big goof kraut wig from Loyola, Chicago, we'll get to him in a second. He's been great. You got the shooter from Oral Roberts who's been putting up 29 a game. But Buddy Beheim is second with players who have played more than two games in the NCAA tournament. And to sum up how good he is, think about this. Syracuse fans, did you ever think you'd say this in your lifetime? He is playing better than Carmelo Anthony was in the NCAA tournament. I know it's blasphemy. Central New York, and trust me, as someone who loves Carmelo, loves Jerry McNamara, that whole 2003 team, we have to accept that what Buddy Beheim is doing right now may be as good as any Syracuse basketball player ever in the NCAA tournament. Let's just stack up what Buddy Beheim's done in comparison to Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo in his first two games, 15 points, Eight and a half rebounds, pretty good. Well, Mello also did that against a 14 seed in Manhattan in a six seed. How about Buddy Beheim? Did it against a six and a three? They've almost taken the same amount of shots, by the way, in two games. Mello in those two games was 12 of 31. Buddy Beheim, 19 of 32, 27 and a half points per game, three and a half rebounds again against a six and a three seed. Buddy's been better than Mello. Now look, Carmelo Anthony, when they head to Albany and win that Sweet 16 game, the Elite 8 game, Melo gets better and better. And of course, he has that dominant game against Texas where he goes 30-plus and double-digit rebounds. I think Syracuse fans really remember that Hakeem Warwick dunk where he basically teabags Royal Ivy, one of the great dunks in Syracuse history. But that's why Syracuse has been winning. Buddy Beheim has been historically good. Joseph Gerard III is showing flashes of why he was one of the most highly touted recruits in New York State history over the last decade. 
JG3 has stepped up. Twitter people, I've seen the comments. JG3 has been really good. Jesse Edwards has continued to emerge a little bit. He's got to work on his offense still. And guys are stepping up and making big shots. Big bad Bob Braswell is making some plays. Gurrier. Be nice if Griffin put a hand up on defense once in a while. But Syracuse is winning. And that's what Orange fans want. Look, I've seen it. The criticism of Coach Beheim. We've talked about it on this podcast. We cannot deny the two things. He's a Hall of Famer and he wins in the tournament. And that 2-3 zone cannot be stopped. Syracuse continues to look good. Now look, the rest of the bracket, it's Houston to tough matchup, Oregon State, Loyola Chicago. But why doubt Syracuse at this point? I didn't think the Orange could get by West Virginia. San Diego State was a team that was a national contender for a championship in 2020. There was no tournament. Bob Huggins is a coach with 900-plus wins. Let's not act like just because Syracuse won, those are easy opponents. Everybody going forward is just as tough. Why not Syracuse? I'll go with a coaching cliche. Why not the Orange? You got a guy scoring like Buddy Bayheim is? You got a Hall of Fame coach in matchups with a 2-3 zone? Let's go Orange. Love what's happening out in Central New York and love what's happening with all the fans and everybody rooting on this team again. Let's go Orange. Cannot wait for Saturday night. That's right. Syracuse basketball can hang with anybody. And I just mentioned Oregon State and Loyola Chicago. There have been a lot of upsets. Here's the thing with the upsets. Why have they happened? Look, we tried sniffing them out last week in our March Madness edition. We couldn't nail Oral Roberts or Oregon State or Loyola Chicago. Sister Jean, 101 years old, man. She was born when Babe Ruth was playing for the Red Sox. But why have they happened? All right, there's a theory, and it makes a lot of sense here. And something I got to remember for next year, and hopefully you listen, you'll remember for your brackets next year too. It's math. That's made this happen. In 2001, the field expands to 65 teams. And then later on, the field expands to 68 teams. And let's just use the 11 seed for an example. So the 11 seed will have two 11 seeds, one in the east, one in the west. You know, we'll use this as an example. And then in the Midwest and the south, there's technically four teams playing for two slots. That's the round of 68. 16 seeds work the same way. Again, we'll use east and west. One 16 seed is locked in the East. One 16 seed is locked in the West. And then you've got four teams playing for two slots. Now think about it like that. I just mentioned four teams playing for two spots. Now in the early 2000s, those four bad teams, we'll just say for the adjective there, all would have already been locked in as 16 seeds. So what would have happened next? Well, if we've already got our four 16 seeds locked in, where do those other two 16 seeds go? Well, they become 15s. All right, so where do the two other 15 seeds go? Well, they actually become 14 seeds. So what we start seeing here is this lowering of the seed. And I think some people are starting to understand what's happening here is that the quality of the team in that seed really isn't matching what it was 20 years ago. Someone argued, guys, wait a second, they actually should be, wait, higher? It seems as if, no, 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 it's actually lower. Again, a 14 in the past is now a 15. A 15 in the past is now a 16 because some of these spots are opening up because you're almost bumping out those teams because of that round. Hopefully that makes sense to some people. Some people kind of understand what I'm saying here. Those past 16 seeds, those two leftover teams, they're not truly 16s anymore. They're now 15 seeds. And those teams that are really the highest quality of a 15 have now become 14s because they're better of the group of 15. The best 14 seeds now become 13 seeds. That's why we're seeing so many upsets because these teams that we deem as lower seeded teams are actually 
higher seeded teams and better slots than ever before. Two big things happening in the Capital Region. We talked about the coaching scene. We've got a new coach for the UAlbany Great Danes. We've got a situation involving Coach Carr for the Siena Saints. Let's start with UAlbany first, just because I don't have much on the UAlbany stuff. Uh, Dwayne Killings is the new head coach for the UAlbany men's basketball team. Look, in the past, when I used to work for the flagship, for the Great Danes, this would be a classic cliche of he's going to do a great job for the team. He's going to do great. Rah, rah, Coach Killings. A new head coach is kind of like a recruit in high school. It's like a draftee in the NFL or NBA draft or the other league. We won't know for years. Like, would it have been different if there was just a different name? Like, that's usually what happens for the giraffes and recruits. Hey, I'd rather we have this guy than that guy. We'll see how their careers develop and we can match it up. Uh, for head coaching candidates, it's wait and see. What type of recruits do they bring in? Is it successfully leaves for another program? Not really. And it's so tough to weigh what we deem successful in one bid college basketball leagues because this is what really could happen. Coach Killingsley could go 500, you know, 13 and 13, 15 and 15 in the next three years. But you already could make it to two conference title games and maybe go to the NCAA tournament and say, wow, that's successful. They're in March Madness. What do we deem successful? That's what makes this difficult. So for Coach Killingsley at UAlbany, I wish I could tell you it's a great hire. It's an okay hire. I don't love... I got nothing on him. He's an assistant. He's got a good pedigree. He could be good. He's got a lot of players who want out right now, which is very common in college basketball, especially the coaching change. Uh, I wish him the best. We're seeing the football and the cross programs take higher priority with the Great Danes Athletics. So... I don't know what holds the basketball team. I know I'm not supposed to give that answer, but I'm wishing the best of luck. Go Great Danes. Hoping everything works out for that team. But Coach Killingsley, it could have been anybody taking that spot. I feel like they'd have the same challenges out of them. I'm thrilled to talk about this story. So I'm going to call Coach Carm for the sake of this. I used to interview him weekly on my old station. So just for the sake of me not getting tripped up on this guys on the go, Coach Carm is what I'm referring to as the Cena men's basketball coach as. He has signed an extension, according to multiple reports, with Siena Basketball. If you may have missed this, uh, Jeff Goodman had reported that Coach Carm had interviewed for the vacancy at Fordham. Now, Coach Carm deserves that interview. Fordham of the A-10 has been struggling. There is no doubt Fordham should have considered Coach Carm as a candidate. He's recruiting well in New York. He's won back-to-back regular season championships in the MAC. He's a young coach in comparison to what coaches are aged-wise in college basketball. It totally makes sense for Forum to interview Coach Carm because he's a good coach. He does a great job with Siena. Now, here's where I find very interesting, and there is a connection here, Saints fans, to what just happened with Coach Carm and how this played out in the media and what happened close to five years ago with coach Jimmy Patsos. Now, before we get to that, I want to give credit to ABC 10's Liana Bonavita for a great job she did here. Here's some quotes from Coach Karma talking about what had happened. If we're doing a good job, there probably will be rumors, you know, and, and there will be talk. And, and at the end of the day, you know, talk is talk. And, you know, you have to cross those bridges when they present themselves. But, you know, I love being the coach here at Siena. And for me, it's about uh, the passion. And Siena's a basketball school. You know, they love their Saints, and uh, I love being their coach. Look, there's Coach right there talking about it. Once things started to get out there about whether or not he was going to afford him, he went to social media as well. I want to actually get this right. It's great to be a Saint. Hashtag eat, hashtag attack, hashtag finish. 
Coach knew what he was doing. So look, it plays out in the media that Coach Carr may be going to Fordham. There is a connection here to Jimmy Patsos. And for those of you who are not familiar with Coach Patsos' past at Siena, you may know him from hits, including that guy who triple-teamed Steph Curry in college and held him scoreless. Uh, that guy who coached from the stands because he was ejected or didn't want to get ejected. Wikipedia confuses me on that one still. Or the classic invisible handshake. Here's the video courtesy of my pal Zach By at By's Line on Twitter. All right, so I'm going to walk you through this slowly. Now, on our visual side, I'm going to do my best to share my screen to kind of explain what went on with the Jimmy Patsos extension. And this is my perspective of how it connects with Coach Carm. Some can dispute this if you want, but I lived through this. This is my take of what went down with Coach Patsos. Now, in April of 2016, Jimmy Patsos is trying to get an extension. It's just happening. He's talking about it. It's a thing that's going on. Graphics here. So again, this article I'm showing right now is from 104.5, the team, April 14, 2016. And the article touches on how Coach Jimmy Patsos may be a candidate for the Texas Tech opening. Now, let me remind you, for those who aren't following in Sydney, if you're listening outside of the Capital Region, Coach Pantzels' record at this time was 72-71 and 71 as the head coach for Siena. Chris Beard eventually gets this job. and Chris Beard had signed with UNLV, and Texas Tech was willing to pay a $1 million buyout. He had signed for UNLV that month. They hired him away from UNLV, and we know what Chris Beard does. He eventually leads Texas Tech to a national championship. But somehow, according to this report, for my pal Brady Farkas, uh, he believes, and I don't doubt his sources, I know Brady well enough, he's a professional, that Coach Patsos was a legitimate candidate at Texas Tech. Now, here's where things start to get bizarre and why I feel like the Goodman and Roger Wyland and people who'd reported, I think CBB Central and Kevin Sweeney had something out there as well. There had been some tweets about this Fordham situation going on, Michael Kelly as well. That that play in the media had a huge effect on this. So remember, April 14th, 2016, an article comes out from 104.5, the team that says Coach Patsos is a legit candidate at Texas Tech, despite his record, despite his lack of success. One day later, on April 15th, hey, there's my face, on April 15th, 2016, the Siena Saints put out this tweet at night. Jimmy Patsos extended by Siena for two years. One day later? Wait a second. So 104.5, the team comes out with a story that he might go to Texas Tech. And then one day later, a story comes out that Coach Patsos has signed an extension. Okay, that seems like there was some type of influence. That's something that happened. Now, that tweet came out on April 15th, 2016. ABC 10, who we're showing a graphic of here. Uh, Courtney Ward does this story, April 15, 2016. I'll pull up another graphic here of the Times Union. Mark Singlace does this story as well. He's got it up April 15, 2016, where, in fact, he has his situation where he shows Coach Patsos also Basically, coming back, signing the two-year extension. So you kind of see where we're going with this. Okay, so multiple media outlets have a story that comes out involving Coach Jimmy Patsos. So somebody's listening. They're like, this doesn't make sense. So a coach who's 500, a story comes out on 104.5, the team, that Texas Tech 
may sign him. And within a day, he gets a new contract. So see, so you'd say, okay, guys, that's just a coincidence. Brady came out with an article on 104.5, the team. The next day he signed, it just happened. Now, credit to Brady. Brady's article may have influenced, and we have two coincidences happening now at this point. He may have helped Coach Pantos get that job, whether unknowingly, and I'm pretty sure it's unknowingly, he's just doing his job as a radio host who had sources, that this happened. Now, look, this spread on Reddit. This spread, I'm sure, on CNN chat rooms and everything else that this article was out there that he was getting looked at for Texas. Guys, it makes no sense. It makes zero sense in the world that a coach in the MAC for three years who's 500, who's never been to the NCAA tournament, NIT, is getting looked at by Texas Tech because there's Under Armour connections. Okay, so you'd say, look, Sienna, there's no connection there. They were not influenced by that. Remember those dates, though, I said, okay? April 14th was Brady's article. As we saw, the press release comes out at 1030 at night on April 15th. Uh, the TU has it at 830. ABC 10 has it at 1030. Here's what I find the most remarkable of this whole thing. Look at the article that was posted by Sienna. That's right. The college who actually announced the extension. When is this dated? April 14th. 2016 at midnight. Now, hang on a second. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, oh, oh. Guys, walk me through this. So, Brady's article comes out the 14th. All the rest of that stuff comes out the 15th when Pantos gets hired. So, you're telling me Brady wrote an article after the fact? Of course not. So, explain to me why Sienna has on their website that Coach Patsos was announced as an extension a day before the report came out and a day before the tweet came out. Now, it could be just a, a mistake. Maybe just somehow the website's not showing up right. But now this is a third coincidence that has happened with Sienna, okay? We've got Coach Carm gets a contract extension after the Fordham thing comes out. We've got Sienna seeing a Texas Tech story that he might get an extension there. And now the website in which the contract extension is announced dates before... Brady's story comes out, dates before the press release comes out. Something is not making sense here. Here's what my final solution is. Clearly, Sienna has been influenced by the media. If you're a Sienna fan, you're like, hang on a second. So you're telling me the reason Coach Pantos got an extension might be because of 104.5, the team's article that came out. If you want to say no, that's fine. But too many things just lined up there. That a day later, the coach got an extension and the Sienna website reflects that they didn't even want that to be the response? Come on. Look, Coach Carm got his extension, rightfully so. The guy won two regular season championships and would have either played in the NIT and the NCAA in his first two years. That's a guy who deserves an extension. Did the Fordham thing help? Of course it did. Now we've got proof for a second time. Coach Pato's got an extension for being 500? Because something leaked to the media. And we did the same thing five years later. Coach Karn benefited. Coach Patsos benefited. I'm sure five years from now, if you're a young reporter, leak something about Sienna. Because that head coach might have to owe you some beer or dinner later on. Because it might influence their decision too. NFL frequency is in full swing. And I got to say, the regional teams are the teams that have impressed me. Or at least been in the news the most. Two of the teams have impressed me. One team not so much. Think about this. For me, the significant winner is the Buffalo Bills. Bills Mafia, rejoice. Get the tables ready to light on fire in March. 
Look what the Bills have done this offseason. John Feliciano coming back. Matt Milano coming back. Now, John Brown's no longer there. John Brown had a nice season. He had a good time with the Buffalo Bills, but they upgrade with the one-year $6 million deal with Emmanuel Sanders, who has been more consistent in his career. The signing of Mitchell Trubisky, one year, two and a half mil. Some people are more excited about it than me because they're like, all right, well, it's an insurance policy for Josh Allen. You don't want Josh Allen to get hurt. The value of Mitchell Trubisky is zero. Josh Allen never comes off the field. Some would say, guys, it's kind of boring. Where's the big name? Where's the big splash? Do they need it? Look what Buffalo did last season. They just got to get by the Kansas City Chiefs. They're so close. The answer is how to slow down Patrick Mahomes and how to get that Chiefs offense under control. But maybe, maybe the Chiefs were exposed in the Super Bowl against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If that's the case, maybe Buffalo's got an opportunity to pull this thing off. I love what the Bills have done this offseason. And to add to that list, what about the New York Giants? I know a lot of people point to Dave Gettleman and say he's the reason why the Giants have struggled so often. Got to give Gettleman credit when it's due. Kyle Rudolph, a tight end, coming over on a two-year deal worth $12 million. John Ross, who at one time in his career was at Washington, combine record center, one of the best players that helped the Huskies get to a college football playoff. He's coming. Leonard Williams was a standout at the end of 2020. He's coming back. And these two, Kenny Galladay, three years, 54 mil, and Adoree Jackson, the former standout at USC, is now coming over. Secondary showed up. Galladay is that receiver that Daniel Jones has needed. Kyle Rudolph is a true target that can do a lot. He has a nice career at the Minnesota Vikings. I love it. I love what the Giants have done. Now, here's the thing. If you're not a Daniel Jones fan, you might say, guys, it's all on Daniel Jones. And Dave Gettleman's okay with that. He wants to prove to people that the quarterback he took in the first round is better than Dwayne Haskins. Well, that's pretty easy. And he's better than Kyler Murray. Well, Murray went first. He doesn't really have to prove that at this point. All he's got to prove is that Daniel Jones is the guy. Daniel Jones is the one who could help the New York Giants get to a Super Bowl. And they can do that if he steps up on offense this season. Everything's around him now at this point. Saquon Barkley is going to be healthy. You've got the best wide receiver there since Odell Beckham Jr. And now's the opportunity for this team to actually get better and make moves and have this thing go on for this squad. I love what Dave Gettleman's done. Now, the other team in the news, the New England Patriots. Cam Newton's coming back. Nelson Aguilar, Jonu Smith, Hunter Henry. We can rut Kyle Van Noy. We can run down the list. They've been the most active of everybody else. The Patriots have been the most active of any NFL team this offseason. Wasn't this the same guy Bill Belichick used to go off to Barbados and vacations and everywhere else before? And now the Patriots are active. I don't love it if I'm a Pats fan. Someone say, guys, why? Like Belichick has been active. He knows what he's doing. Well, hang on a second. When the Patriots weren't active in the offseason, they won. They weren't winning last year. I get Cam Newton and other things and COVID-19 played a factor. But now they're active and we think the Patriots are going to step up and be better. Eh, I don't see it with this Pats team because even those names I just listed off. Are they better than Buffalo? Are they better than Miami? Is New York going to step up in the division? I think the true winners, Giants and Bills, because the teams are going in the right direction. Still a lot of question marks for me in this New England Patriot roster going forward. I want to hit that music, man. One of the best theme songs in sports. It's between the NHL on ESPN's theme and Round Ball Rock. John Tesh's old theme on NBC Sports that now Fox Sports has. The two best theme songs in sports history. Love those two. 
I don't want to get sued early on in this podcast, so I'm not going to play it. Look it up. You probably already know it. But let's get into the truth of what really happened here with the NHL and ESPN deal. We've got Gary Bettman on with Scott Van Pelt parading around how it's a victory day for hockey coming back to ESPN, basically two decades plus. If you don't remember what had happened was, uh, hockey had locked out. ESPN had a deal with the NHL. The games weren't on. They had college basketball, and they decided, you know what? Uh, you know, this college basketball thing isn't doing so bad for us. Maybe we're going to roll with the college basketball games. And hockey was in a tough spot. The NHL said, all right, we're going to go to NBC. But it wasn't NBC. It was versus. Yeah, the hunting channel is where hockey was on for a while. Now, for those that don't follow what's going on, again, let's get to the truth of really what this deal is. And that's where it was before, NBC. Why did the NHL jump to ESPN? Why did they have the spectacular move? How did the worldwide leader land hockey? Guys, NBC Sports Network is done. The whole thing's shutting down. So for those who thought NBC Sports Network could be a true threat to ESPN, it's over. They tried to make it some big splashes. They signed Michelle Beadle. How many people even remember that? Because she was gone by the time she was back to ESPN, now off ESPN. But there's no network for the NHL to go to. Well, guys, what about CBS? Why does CBS want hockey? CBS has March Madness that's going on right now. They've got the Masters. They've got the NFL package. They had the SEC football package. I know some of that's going to change in the near future. But CBS is good. Why does Fox want hockey? Now, Fox could get into this bid because, remember, there's three Stanley Cups, half the playoffs, according to ESPN's former, now New York Post, is Andrew Marshan, who covers all this media stuff. Half the playoffs, regular season games still to go, but NBC, they could get it, but Fox doesn't need it. Fox has got the Major League Baseball postseason. Fox has got the NFL. Fox got into a deal with the WWE to air SmackDown. They don't need it either. So when you're telling me Fox doesn't want hockey, CBS doesn't want hockey, NBC might be the only one left, even though their NBC Sports Network shut down. What about Amazon? Or a streaming service. Amazon just picked up Thursday Night Football. So let's not act like, oh my God, ESPN did it. They brought back hockey. It's the best. There was nobody left. And ESPN wanted hockey because ESPN Plus is their focus. They want people to subscribe. They want to make money. And they think hockey fans will be the niche audience that they want. $2.8 billion over the next seven seasons beginning next year. But this idea that like, ESPN stepped up and hockey is going to have this resurgence because they stole it away from NBC. It's just not true. That's not what happened. I love hockey. When you go to a hockey game in person, it's the best sport to see in person. Now, I say I love hockey in the sense that it's a great live sport. I want to be a Seattle Kraken fan coming up. I want to see I'm a Kraken fan since day one. Will I be more interested now that hockey's on ESPN? Probably. Like, if we got the ESPN Plus app and there's nothing else going on, I might flip on a hockey game. I want to see what the Kraken's like. I want the fans to be back, though, in the arena for hockey because you know how hockey fans get. But please, let's not act like ESPN saved hockey. Hockey had nowhere to go. And by the way, the financial stuff of this, I mentioned the $2.8 billion. If you really want to dive into the financial stuff, go check out Larry Brooks's article on the New York Post. Tremendous job he does on this, breaking down the numbers and what it really means for that sport going forward. Why they really locked in on ESPN. Spoiler alert, it was money. Larry Brooks does a great job on that. But let's be honest about it. Let's not act like this whole thing was about saving the sport. They had nowhere else to go. 
What a week we got set up here for fight sports. We got so many fight sports to get to. I'm going to run through them quick, and I'm talking UFC, boxing, WWE, AEW. First, the UFC. UFC event this weekend, UFC 260. Steve Bang versus Francis Ngannou. Here's the thing with this main event. I've seen Francis Ngannou fight in person. I saw him fight in December 2016 at the Times Union Center in Albany. He won performance of the night. But I didn't remember walking out thinking, oh, my God, Francis Ngannou, he is the greatest thing. Didn't have that reaction. Maybe other UFC fans did. Ngannou has a spot here in 2021 where he can be the next great fighter in the sport. Here's what he's poised to have happen this year. He gets Stipe for the heavyweight championship. If he beats Stipe, he's likely getting a fight this year against John Jones. So in one calendar year, one fighter can win the heavyweight championship, beat the greatest heavyweight in the history of the division, and then take on the greatest fighter ever. One year, he could have both opportunities. Here's the problem with Francis Ngannou. He hits like a hammer. I would fear for my life if he ever swung a punch at me, and rightfully so. He might be the hardest hitter we've ever seen in the UFC heavyweight division. But he hasn't had the big win. Fought Derek Lewis. Didn't win. Fought Stipe, didn't win. Has he had the moment to break through and become, this is the next star? Here's his opportunity this weekend. On Stipe's side, a great heavyweight. Okay, but has he had the star power like others? No, and I know that's really difficult, but when you have such a massive brand that is the UFC, how are the heavyweights not your most talked about fighters? That's how it should be. Frank Singano could take that next step, but this is it. He's going to be 35 in September. He is not a young chicken here, man. Like, he is not with those old spring legs. He needs this fight. And trust me, the UFC so desperately wants him to win so they can hype up Francis Ngannou versus John Jones because John Jones is the GOAT. I know he's had the PED issues and everything else, but no one's been able to touch him. We're not going to get Jones and Cormier, but Ngannou can take down Jones because he's just flat out that big. Speaking about heavyweights, how about this fight that's been announced? Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury, unifying the heavyweight championship. It sounds great. I'm a huge boxing fan, and I'm telling you, as someone who was born in 1989, this would be the biggest heavyweight fight I've ever seen in my entire life. That's how big it would be. Look, I know Tyson's in the mix, but Tyson's had some rivals back and forth of who he had throughout his career. But this would be a fight I would remember, and this would have everything going wild and crazy. Now, Joshua's no longer undefeated. Ruiz upset him. Tyson Fury is hitting the popularity that everyone knows who he is. He didn't have that when he beat Klitschko. He had to wake his way up basically through that first Wilder fight. That was a draw. But if you go through the athletes, and I'm talking who we know in the American pop culture society, the major sports, the major individual athletes, take the people who actually had COVID-19 out of the equation. That's obvious. Like If you had COVID-19, we know it affected you. But for those who were not actually contracting the virus, was there an athlete more affected by COVID-19 and the shutdown than Tyson Fury? The answer is no. Think about what Tyson Fury was set up for in the spring of 2020 now into 2021. He was going to fight Wilder again, make a ton of money. He was going to kick his butt. Wilder's a great puncher. He's a great brawler. He's not a great boxer. Tyson Fury would have outboxed him again. So Fury would have gotten Joshua. And we would have got ready for an incredible fight. And they probably would have fought at Wembley Stadium. Two English fighters. They would have packed that place in that movie, right? The Queen movie was at Live Aid, right? In the 1980s. 
that Wembley Stadium would have been packed like that for two English heavyweights going at it. Didn't happen. Tyson Fury was going to be a part of WrestleMania. So he would have joined the likes of Hamid Ali, Floyd Mayweather, Mike Tyson. He would have crossed over and done WrestleMania. He would have done a big fight at Wembley. None of that happens because of COVID-19. So here we go. Here's the problem with Joshua and Tyson Fury. We don't know when or where or how. They say it's going to happen. Knowing boxing, a lot of things can happen between now and then they actually step in the ring. I would be, again, thrilled. Incredible for the sport. Two amazing fighters. Their styles might be a little boring in this bout, but the trash talk leading up to it, the walkouts before it. Look, I just mentioned Freddie Mercury. Tyson Fury would probably come out singing Radio Gaga at the end, say we are the champions and have Wembley rocking. It'd be great for the sport to have these two going at it. Give me Joshua and Fury. Just give me some dates and times. I don't mind if it's in England. Let them do their thing in England. AEW, man. All Elite Wrestling. Let's get into the pro wrestling talk real quick here. Uh, that situation involving Kenny Omega and John Moxley, if you haven't seen the cut, and I wanted to find the clip and play it, but I know it's all over the internet, where they had a barbed wire death match. And I, I got it. I were the pay-per-view. My buddy Greg, shout out to him in Utica. My dad, I wanted to see like the shades of Terry Funk and Mick Foley. 2021 was going to have a barbed wire death match. It's a main event in pro wrestling. I'm like, let's go. It was like sparklers going off at the end. It was a bust. Like the pay-per-view, there were some really good matches. They had a bust at the end. That was the bad. The good is, oh my God, women's wrestling. Thunder Rosa versus Britt Baker. I know if you're an old school wrestling fan of your days of the Rock and Stone Cold, it's probably not your thing, but just go find that. It's between Sasha Banks and Bayley years ago at NXT Brooklyn, which is the greatest women's match of all time. This is second. I couldn't believe the blood, the fight, the real thing that was going on between these two. It blew up the internet. Shout out to those two. Give me that again. Let them main event. A pay-per-view coming up for All Elite Wrestling. I would watch it again. If you haven't watched the AEW stuff, if you're slow to go, go watch that. Thunder Rosa versus Britt Baker. Oh, my God. Speaking about pro wrestling, the best stuff going on right now for the WWE continues to be NXT. I know we're on the road to WrestleMania, and there's some great matches on the way. Look, we're going to get Roman Reigns versus Edge, and that might be a really good bout, but... Daniel Bryan might be in the mix. I'm still loving everything going on at XT. I don't know when I'm going to shake it. Just a few minutes before we started recording this one tonight, Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole finished off the show. The promos that these two can cut. My God, the emotion and everything that goes into it. Again, I got to go back to women's wrestling, though. Rhea Ripley's my girl, man. If you haven't seen her go at it, she is a woman who is a force. She's going to go up against Asuka at WrestleMania. I've never seen anybody like her before. Look, Charlotte Flair's out with COVID. Uh, I don't know what her future is going to be with her fiance recently getting released by the WWE. His name is Andrade. So I don't know what her future holds. If they're looking for the next Charlotte Flair, Rhea Ripley is like an American gladiator. and It's an Australian war. She is like nobody I've ever seen before. So WrestleMania is going to be good. It always is. Rhea Ripley is the name to look out for. She can do something some females have never done in the history of wrestling because she's that popular and that good. Maybe she'll be the next Becky Lynch and everything else. I think Triple H actually said that. He believes one day she'll mean event WrestleMania. 
she is someone to continue to keep an eye out for for this WrestleMania. And thank you. Thank you for two things. One, that Bray Wyatt's coming back. Love the Bray Wyatt stuff. Alexa Bliss. and Oh, my God. That stuff is great. The Randy Orton stuff. Spitting out the black stuff like it's Papa Shanga and the Ultimate Warrior when I was a kid. I love everything about it. And please, WWE, continue to have WrestleMania for two nights. Someone's going to be like, two nights, guys. Two. No, no, no. Look, WrestleMania was getting to a point where it was six hours long. I heard from fans who would go to the show that they were gassed six hours to beat a show. Most sports games last maybe four hours tops. Six hours to be invested. Give me two nights, three hours apiece. You double your money. If you can't go to night one, you go to night two and you're in good shape or you go to both. I think that's got to be the plan going forward for the rest of WrestleMania's two nights. Good stuff there. All right, let's wrap up this episode with my wagers. Uh, I see that some of you, and you know who you are, like to use the phrase fade gauze. I'm talking about some of you from back home. I would like to remind everyone right here, I am one in one on this season with my picks. One in one. And last week, I didn't give any picks. So we just did a March Madness special. So here's what I'm doing. Let it earn or let it burn, baby. That's what I'm talking about is that if you've got some bracket picks alive, if you can still win your bracket, money line those teams. And I can still, I did the math, win some brackets. So here's what I'm doing. I need Baylor. I need Gonzaga. I need Alabama. And I need Florida State. Here's what you do. Money line those four. 10 bucks gets you 34, 37. So about three and a half times payback. That's what I'm doing. I want my bracket to go down. Now, maybe they say, hey, guys, I got Michigan. Guys, I got another team that's coming out of that region. I want to bet Houston. Good. Like, if Houston can help you in your bracket, roll with Houston. If somebody else can't do that, those are the teams I want. And if you know me, I'm very stubborn when it comes to these picks at the end, that if I pick the team, I will not hedge my bet towards the end. I'm going Baylor, Gonzaga, Alabama, Florida State for a three-and-a-half time payback because that's my bracket head. And I want to win. And there it is, another episode, Goss in the Go. We gave you everything across the board, basketball, football, fight sports. Hope you enjoyed it all. Don't forget, GodzillaMedia.com. Get your gear right now. It's only open for two more weeks. T-shirts, hoodies, hats, and more. Enjoy the madness this weekend. We'll talk to you guys again next week.